Hey everyone, welcome to We're Still Standing. You're going to hear the life stories and experiences of young people who have been caught up in our juvenile justice system. Many of them have had really rough childhoods. All of them have spent time in lockup. The good news is they're still standing. You'll hear about how they found the hope, the strength, the faith to step into a better future and how they stand for every youth in every facility. Olivia, Edna, and Zainab are survivors. All of them have faced incredible challenges and found themselves in the system at a young age. But today, they're still standing and they're sharing their experience with Scott Larson, founder of Straight Ahead Ministries. So I want to welcome everybody to the first of our podcast where we're really talking about issues that young people face in the juvenile justice system. And what's unique about this is it's told by the experts. And I don't mean like professors or lawmakers or policy people. These are the experts of people who've been there. And today we have a great program on girls in the juvenile justice system. And we have Edna and Zainab and we have Olivia. And so I'm going to just ask them to first introduce themselves. My name's Olivia. I'm 30 years old and I'm from Worcester, Massachusetts. My name's Edna. I'm from Worcester, Massachusetts and I'm 16 years old. Hi, my name is Zaina. I'm 20 years old. I was born in Syria and now I'm in Worcester. Thank you guys. Thank you for being here and being willing to um, talk some about your life and about things that girls in the juvenile justice system face today. A lot of people may not realize only about 15% of the total number of kids locked up across the country are in girls' facilities, but it's actually the population group that's growing the most. It is, um, in many ways, a tragedy um, because most of the girls who are in the system have really experienced a lot of pain, and you guys know that quite well. So first off, maybe just a little bit about um, if you think about how life was growing up for you and, you know, sort of the, your background or what it was like for you, Olivia, you want to start? Sure. So I come from a family of seven. Uh, my parents were married for about 20 years. My mother struggled. Um, she was addicted to pills. She, uh, she was an alcoholic. Um, and, and her behavior was really always unpredictable. We were abused as children. We suffered homelessness many times, moving from home to home, um, didn't really always have enough to eat. And, you know, we, we grew up in a toxic environment. My mother was very violent towards the kids and to our father. And so life was tough. You know, I never really knew what side of my mother I was gonna get. I never knew if it was gonna be a good day, a bad day. And, you know, living in an unpredictable environment is very tough on a child when they really need that stability. Yeah. How about you, Edna? What was it like growing up for you? Um, for me growing up, it was, it was very good at first. You know, my mom was a very good mom. She was a single parent. She had, we have four kids in the household. Um, things were good at first until she got into drugs. She had a boyfriend that she had met. Our house burned down. And she really didn't like my father, so she was very abusive towards me. She was, I was very targeted out of all the other kids. And she would really just try to always get me sent out the house, you know. I suffered from, like, getting sexually abused from her boyfriend and stuff. 
and like yeah things were just very unpredictable with her as well she sometimes you know she would show me a lot of love sometimes she wouldn't and she would always just want me out of the house so yeah yeah and that started about how old would you say when um, it started to turn from being pretty good to not good at all i think maybe i was about nine after our house burned down she started to like we were living in a hotel you know she started to abuse drugs pills you know all that and she was really you know breaking down as a person so obviously we suffered on her on our part but I started there and then we moved into another house and she just couldn't let go of her addiction and she really she couldn't face it for herself at all like she she doesn't believe to this day that she has anything wrong with her and that nothing's her fault so yeah yeah and you know, I hope our listeners understand that is probably the case for nearly every girl in the system, wouldn't you guys say? Girls that you know are in the system. It's like you're going along and things are good, you're a child, and then um, something happens either within your family, somebody gets messed up with drugs, somebody moves in, and kids become the victim of it and then sure. you sort of get caught up in that in that system which which we'll talk some more about Zainab how about you you were born in Syria mm. you remember being there no I came here when I was one. Oh, I guess I came not. here as a refugee really yeah but I was like um growing up my parents like they came here when they were married my mom she had me at like 14 and she had my sister at 13 and then when she came to America, she had my brother at 18. When my mom came here, not 19. When she came here, she was 18. So like, she had all three kids with us and she was really young. But like, um, life growing up, um, my parents got a divorce when I was eight. So after the divorce, like my life literally went down. Like it, it went down. Um, I didn't see my mom a lot. Like I didn't see her for eight years. I seen her. I seen her at 13 when my dad kicked me out of my house because of my stepmom. And it was like, um, I went to go live with her and I never, like, I never seen her for, like, for eight years, I never seen her. I just got placed with her and I hated my mom. I hated her. Like, I hated her. Like, I did not want her near me. Like, if she was near me, like, I just, like, I, like, I did not want to be in the vicinity, like, next to her at all. Be, like, I hated her. Like, I was trying to get everything, like, like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, you have good, and, and how old do you think you were? Because you have some pretty I was, I was 13. Yeah, um, 13? Yeah, the reason why yeah. I got kicked out of my dad's house, my dad, he got married to um this Moroccan lady, and she did not, she did not like the idea that my dad had kids with another woman. In my culture, like, um, they value the men, they value the men, so she was trying to get me and my sister kicked out so she can have her so she can have a baby and she valued my brother so he stayed there so so she so she got us both kicked out so she can have her own little family so um when i was like 11 years old like i think that was like the first time that i wanted to kill myself because of her because because of everything that she like brought into my family yeah 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 wow it's a lot for an 11 year old isn't it 13 year old yeah and you know, how did you end up from, because this is what I think people need to hear is all, all three of your stories are stuff that happened to you, 
And then somehow you got put into this juvenile justice system, which is, you know, by definition supposed to be where people go if they do bad stuff. So how did that happen? Were you, you moved from, you know, just trying to make it out there with all the stuff going on around you to somehow landing in this system? Mm-hmm. I think for me, like, I don't want to say that it wasn't my fault, but like, as soon as I like started, you know, developing as a teenager, you know, like my mom, she really, she really had a lot of like, I don't want to say hate, but she really didn't like, she didn't like me. Like when, I, when as soon as I turned like 11, 12, you know, she always wanted me out of the house. Like she didn't want me there. Like she didn't like me. So she would always like call the cops and say that I hit her, call the cops, say that I'm doing something wrong, you know, call the family, say, oh, Edna's doing this, Edna's doing that. And I'm just like, like, I'm trying my best. I'm not trying to do anything, like, wrong so I don't get kicked out of the house. Like, I think the first time I got arrested, I was um, 12 because me and my brother were fighting. And she just called and said that I was, like, causing chaos. So they took me out. And it's sad because, like, the, the cops, they told me, like, you know, stay away from your mom. Like, and it's sad to hear that you, that people are telling you to stay away from your own mom. Like, sitting in the back of a cop car when you're 12 years old, you know? So... That's when things started for me personally, and then the judge noticed, and he put me into custody. He cut me away from my mom. Yeah, and you, you remember what you were feeling when the first time you went into a cop car at 12 or into custody or a program, what that felt like? I mean, I was feeling a lot of anger towards my mom because, like, I, I don't feel like I did anything wrong. Like, I know why she wanted me out of the house. I know I know she was mad, like, but I feel like I didn't deserve what I was getting. I was mad at the same time I was sad. I was, like, I was crying in the cop car. I was scared, like, like, I was 12 years old getting processed in a police department, like, you know? I just feel like I was feeling very scared, sad, and angry at the same time. Yeah. Confused as well. I was just confused with the whole situation, how that was happening to me. Yeah. Wow. Olivia, how did you end up? You were in California. How'd you end up landing in this so-called juvenile justice system? So I started getting in trouble in school at a young age. I was acting out in school. Um, just because of everything that was going on at home, I felt like at school I could really exert my power. Like I had control at school. Like I could choose not to do the work. I could choose to disrupt the class. And so that kind of became a theme in my life. And so when I was in California, at one point, my parents had divorced and my father was in Massachusetts and my mother was out in California. And I got kicked out. I was 12 years old. and. There was, an, there was just an argument between my mother and she sent me back to Massachusetts to be with my dad. And when I was out, when I was in Massachusetts at that time, my dad left me there with a family friend. He moved to California with the woman he met online and I was molested and I was left all alone there. And so when that happened to me, when I went back to California, like I was so angry, I was so, I was so set on like just destruction. Like I felt like I was worthless. I felt like I was broken. I felt like, you know, I had no value. And so when I was acting up in school, I wasn't afraid to fight anyone. Like that's how I really got my anger out. Like I was just hurting people the same way that I had been hurt. 
And so when I was 13 years old, that was the first time that I had gotten arrested. Um, I felt like, you know what, I was tired of going through the verbal abuse from my mother, going through the physical abuse, the division that she bring amongst my siblings and I. And so I just started running away. And from one of the times that I had ran away, she had gotten upset because I didn't make my way back home. And she called the police and I was at school one day and the cops came and picked me up in front of everyone to pick me up for assault and battery on my mother. And I remember feeling so like, what? Like, no, this didn't happen, this isn't true. And nobody would listen to me, you know? Nobody even thought to question like, there's been a pattern in our life that has involved this with my mother. And you know, they took me and I just remember feeling so hopeless. Like nobody cares about me. They won't even sit here and think to listen and hear like, man, like I didn't put my hands on my mother. I've allowed my mother to put her hands on me for years. I never wanted to disrespect her in that way. I still had that love towards her, but getting pulled in for something that I didn't do and having to go in a cell in juvenile hall and just be in the wall and be told to take your clothes off and strip naked and all your belongings are taken away. I wanted to die. Like, that's how I felt. Like, I, like you were I was so, I, yeah, I was dehumanized. It was just a really hard place to sit in at 13 years old and feel like, man, I'm running away because I actually want to do good in my life. I have hopes, I have dreams, and I know that this isn't what I want to live through. Mm-hmm. But I'm running away from these things, but I'm getting in trouble for trying to keep myself safe. It was like, what do, what do you do? Wow. Yeah. Saying, have you been kind of over here nodding? And is your experience similar to how you got in the juvenile system? Oh, well, I ran away um, when I was 17 from my foster home. Uh-huh. She woke me up one morning. Um, it was on a Saturday. It was like, I think it was like April 8th or something. And she woke me up and she told me to pack all my stuff up. Um, it was early in the morning, it was 7 o'clock. Like 7 o'clock in the morning, she told me to pack up all my stuff that I'm going to another foster home in Southbridge. So hearing that, I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to no other foster home, like, no. Like, I packed all my stuff and I threw everything out the window and I called a yellow cab and I left. So I ran away because I just, I just wanted like, I just wanted like all grip of my own, like my life, you feel me? Like I wanted to have control of my life. Cause like ever since my like father's house, I never had control. My mom's house, I never had control. Like, no, nah. So I ran away. So, um, but how I ended up in the system, um, like I was on the run, so you don't have nothing. You're homeless. I was, I was getting bit by bed bugs. Like I was sleeping in basements with my boyfriend. Like I was sleeping on a porch. Like I robbed somebody to get money. Yeah. Do you remember what it was like at, at 17 to be in a place like that, how that felt? Oh, being in jail, yeah. it felt weird because it was like, it was just different. Like I was alone, like I did not know no one. Like I got jumped for not being gay, like, mm-hmm. like what the hell? Like, yeah, quite a survivor, all three of you, what you've had to go through. so many girls out there right now who are in the very same thing and I think one of the things people may not understand is once you get in that system uh, all the rules change around you so if you 
what is called a status offense. The status offense might be not showing up for school or not showing up for your counselor, caseworker. It gets it gets logged as a as a new charge against you, which it wouldn't be a charge if you weren't in the system. Once you were in that system, it's really hard to to break out of there because now the rules are different with you. So as far as I can recall with your stories, you don't have much for charges just for running away from a system that for you wasn't working. Right. So for me, like it felt like a revolving door. I remember going in the first time when I was 13 and I got out fairly quickly. But after that, it was like I got put in alternative schools. And for me, that was probably the worst thing that could have happened to me because it it exposed me to other youth who had a lot of issues. But there was a lot of things and a lot of places that they were connected to. Um, and I was exposed to a lot of things I shouldn't have been exposed to. I shouldn't have been able to get my hands on drugs. I shouldn't have been able to drink every day before school. There was just a, a whole bunch of broken kids in one place, you know, dealing with all this pain and that's chaotic. Like, and so for me, you know, being in an alternative school in California, there was a lot of restriction. There was a lot of things we couldn't do. We couldn't wear certain colors in our clothing. We couldn't wear a certain color shoelace. Like, so I've been probably arrested over there probably 21 different times, whether it was a 24 hour hold, a 32 hour hold, a 72 hour hold, a week stay for things like getting kicked out of class, for being five minutes past curfew, for not doing my homework, for wearing the wrong color to school. And so it was these things where honestly, I was really testing my limits. Like I knew I wasn't supposed to wear certain things, but because of who I was, I did those things. But what I didn't expect was to get locked up. And it was really hard to stay out. It was to the point that I was going in every 21 days. When the 21st day came, I knew that I was going back in. I didn't know why or for what, but it was a pattern and it was very difficult for me to stay out. Yeah. Why do you think that was? I mean, what was going on in you and what was going on in the system or how people viewed you, that it just was impossible to break free once you were in it? Well, I was labeled. You're automatically labeled when you're expelled from public schools and you're in an alternative school. Mind you, my alternative school was run by probation officers. So it was the pipeline back to juvenile hall. Um, I think that I had a lot of anger issues um, and the school, I felt like dumbed down the education. I felt like I wasn't being challenged at all. And so I was bored and I didn't want to be there. I felt like it was a waste of my time. And there was a lot of things that others, like in other teenagers my age, they they could, you know, get away with a lot of things. And for me, it was felt like everything I did was wrong, and everything that I did, I could be locked up for. And there was too much pressure. There was way too much pressure. Um, and like I said, I was labeled, and people weren't willing to look past those labels and try and help me to see. It was all about you know, filling out a tally sheet. Is she doing this? Is she doing that right? It was never about me. Yeah. Did you, at some point, did you just lose hope and give up? Like, I'm never gonna be able to break free from this? Yeah, I sure did. I did, and that's why I ran away to Massachusetts when I was 15, because every time I went in, I would tell people, this is my last time, I'm not coming back. 
this is my last time. And to come back every 21 days, it was like heartbreaking. It was, I was very hopeless, you know? And so the only thing that I felt like I could do to get out of the hole that I was in was to take everything I had and leave everything behind. I literally got on a Greyhound and ran away to California when I was 15 years old. That's how I felt like I was gonna escape the system. That was my only option. Pretty amazing. Some of you probably have 15 year old daughters or granddaughters or nieces or nephews and just imagine them getting on a Greyhound bus from California to Massachusetts with nobody and getting there alive. I mean, the, the, the resilience and the overcoming spirit of uh, the three of you, but for a lot of girls that are in this system is, is pretty remarkable. Uh, and how about for you? Did, did you feel like once you got in this system, it, it just couldn't break free, like put into programs, not necessarily for committing a crime or doing something, but just because they didn't have a place for you or whatever? Um, for sure. I mean, I think when I, I think I was 13 when people finally realized that you know, my mom's house wasn't a good place for me, so I was in the state's custody. I was sent to a program, and when I was in a program, I was just surrounded. I was like, you know, 13 or 12 years old in a program with 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, you know. I was surrounded with people who actually needed to be in a program, you know, surrounded with people who were doing things way worse than me, so, like, it rubbed off on me. I was learning things that I wasn't supposed to be learning, you know, like, I started doing all this stuff and I never went to school because I didn't want to go to school in a program. You know, I would go to school and people would make fun of me for being in a program, saying my mom's a crackhead, saying all these things. And so I never went to school. So the outcome of that was me, you know, like violating my probation. And I was on probation because because of what my mom said. My mom would say that I hit her and because I stole a pair of moccasins from Target because I didn't have any shoes. So. For me, yeah, it was like reoccurring. It was like a spiral. I would always just like, my probation terms became more strict. If I didn't go to school, then I would get violated for probation. If I if something happened inside one of my programs, I would get violated for probation. So for me, things were just like, I felt like no matter what I did, nothing was gonna stop. Like everything just kept getting worse, you know? Like, I just wanted, at that time, I just wanted, you know, somewhere to go to call home, but there wasn't really anywhere for me to go. My mom's, I couldn't, I wasn't welcome there. I, although she told me I was, realistically, I wasn't. So for me, I just felt like I was at a dead end, so. So did you start to lose hope too at some point? Like, you're never gonna be able to break free from this thing? To a certain point, I lost hope, but for me, like, I, I don't want to say, like, I never completely lost hope, like, I never wanted to be one of those people that just, was just a stereotype of what people think about kids who are in the system. So for me, I never completely lost hope, but I've definitely been at those spots where I'm just like, like, what is life? Like, why am I, like, why do I deserve this? Why is this happening to me? Like, I've definitely been there. It's definitely sucked. Zaino, did you have any experience like that where you sort of were in the system and now once you were in it, it was just hard to break free? Because mm -hmm. when I came out of lockup, I was 18, mm -hmm. so I had my own, my own place. So they didn't like really control me. So in yeah. one sense, be becoming an adult was, was a gift for you because you, 
you, yeah. you could leave them. I can break free from them. Yeah, you, and I can have my own my own um, responsibilities. Yeah, I, can have, I could be responsible for myself. Yeah, and you're 20 now, so you know you've been able to do that. Get your own apartment. Mm -hmm. Take care of your son. Mm -hmm. um, have a pretty amazing life. You guys are here talking because you're have overcome in spite of what's happened with you. And so I want to just hear a little bit about um, what you're doing now with your life. Well, I now go back into some of the same facilities that I was locked up at and I'm able to meet with girls who, you know, are really in the same position that I was in, you know, hopeless, broken, went through a lot of trauma. And I just get to be with them and I get to build with them and encourage them and just bring them hope for a better future. And when they get out, I get to continue building the relationship with them and supporting them and encourage them, encouraging them to be all that God created them to be in reality. What was it like first time going back into a place that you were actually locked up in? So when I was locked up, I was a pretty wild child. Um, I had a lot of anger. And so I got restrained a lot. I got kicked out of a lot of programs. I assaulted a lot of staff, a lot of clients. And so I feel like these places never wanted to see my face again. And I never wanted to go in there and see their faces again, to be honest. And so when I went back in, so I caused a lot of, a lot of havoc in there. So going back in, there was a lot of feelings like, man, do these people hold this against me? Are they gonna judge me and think like, oh, she hasn't changed. But then, you know, at the same time I was judging myself as I was going in there, I was just like, what am I doing? Like, why am I going in here? I remember the first time going in and, and that's truly what changed my life and bring me to this path on wanting to work with girls. Um, but I was afraid when I went in, like the sound of the doors triggered me. I felt like, oh my God, are they gonna open back up and let me out? My knees were shaking, my palms were sweaty. It was a girls empowerment workshop and I just couldn't wait to get out, to be honest. Like I just wanted to get out. I felt like I was suffocating in there. And so when I got out, that air that I was able to breathe in was like the best feeling in the world because I wasn't in that place anymore. Like I was a grown woman and, and I'm not a kid anymore and I'm not locked up anymore. And it was just a lot of stuff went through me at that time. And how did the staff respond to you? The staff, they were so surprised. Um, they were, you know, surprised, but like really excited, you know, because the impression that I left on them, I know not all of them thought that I was a bad kid, but a lot of them did. But the ones that actually saw something in me, they were like, they were inspired to see me. And they were like, if anybody could, if anybody's right for the job to come in and sit in these seats and meet with these girls and share their life's experience and bring hope, it's you. And so I think that they were very embracing of me. And that was a really good feeling because that shut down the thoughts that I was having of people are judging me. Are they gonna think I'm that same girl? You know, it just shut it all down because there was endless possibilities now. That's awesome. So one of the things you, you guys do together is you serve out there. Tell us a little bit about that. I know, Zaina, you were just today out mm -hmm. doing that. Tell us some of what you're you're doing and what that's all about. So um, we do a program called Breaking Bread. Um, we used to serve every single Friday. We used to cook the meals for the homeless people. And we pass it around. Like the main spots in Worcester that a lot of homeless people um, 
hang around but um now we're trying to um reinvent the program and we want to work with youth um who ha who just came out of in being incarcerated and um like just um just have a safe spot for them just to have them get back into giving how did that help you um for me i feel like that really opened my eyes that really also opened my heart as well i've seen a lot of people broken down in the streets having to hand in plates a lot of people a lot of people had very big hearts. I remember one day, there was a guy who actually came in. He came in and he told us his story. And that day really just, I feel like that's where I really got connected. That's where I really just wanted to keep serving these people and keep trying to help them and keep letting them know that this isn't the end. You don't have to be out here on these streets. Like, let us help you, let us serve you, and let God really guide you towards better things. So, um, what really hooked me on with breaking bread is, um, like, um, it was during the, like, winter time when we always used to serve at the, um, bus station. Like, there used to be people lined up waiting for us to come. Like, I, I remember it was, like, 5 o'clock, right? It was, like, 5 o'clock, and, like, we had to cook everything and be done before 5 o'clock. Like, there would be a whole line. Like, we'll get everything done like from from the straight ahead we'll serve like if we see people we'll serve like we'll serve them but then like our main point is the bus station and we're like serve 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 and then, like and in and, and, like the face like you can see their faces they're like oh my god like this is my first meal or some people would be like can i have extra like i'm gonna be here to i'm like damn like here have extra like do you want more like i don't know that like i just liked it because like I don't know, I just got hooked because in my head, I was just like, if we're not serving every Friday, who's giving these people food? If we're not the ones giving them, who, who's giving these people food, like blankets, who's giving these people like stuff? Yeah, there's shelters, but like we're also here like to help you, like you feel me? Like, you feel me? So yeah, that's that's what got me hooked because I just needed. Wanted, yeah, yeah. And I think we bring a lot more than food yeah. and necessities. We bring mm -hmm. kindness. We yes. bring a compassionate ear. We didn't come with judgment. Mm -hmm. We were with people and just love them for who they are. And that like, the thing that she's talking about, people expected us. Mm -hmm. And I think that people it was a big response to us coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was it was and like good. we were so real. We weren't like just get out of my face, like how people are like, Oh hi No, we were just like, Hey, like what's good? Like you want a food like like we just spoke like how people on the street speak like we we're just like we're just you and like we're just like you but not nah, but like i don't know yeah and it was just like people just like us like they're so broken like you could tell like how broken they are like i remember seeing a kid that i used to go to high school on the streets i was like damn like like come on like i used to go to high school with you yeah i remember hearing about a birthday party out there oh yeah i had my birthday party with people in the woods you did you yes. had yours yeah it was fun it was my 19th birthday party yeah oh yeah it was so much fun they they set up like they, they set up the whole like okay so they had like a little tent right here and they like and, and and they had like the decorations was balloons like it was balloons but it was like gloves it was glove balloons everywhere <laughs> remember that and toilet yeah. paper for and toilet streamer. paper <laughs> It was so cute, and, but it was so thoughtful. Like I just loved it. I feel like that was my best birthday. My 19th birthday party was like my best birthday party because it was like all around people who like really care for me and love me and like you feel and it was like, homeless people. Yes, homeless. Like I never knew these. Like I just bought a cat from them and they threw me a party. Like I was like, damn. <laughs> it shows you a lot. It shows yeah. you a lot about people. It shows like 
Like it, like I could see how much breaking bread like really puts it like like um effect on people like like today like we met with the people like we met with the people that used to live in the woods and we asked her to come to come join us and you could literally see tears in her eyes she was like yes <laughs> like i'm gonna come like yes and and the guy like before he was like he was so like distraught like he was like so angry and bitter and you could tell in his face like he was just so bitter with life and then now like he's so happy like you could tell like something just changed like it like it's dope it's dope seeing like progress from people, like growth. Definitely. Healing through serving. Mm -hmm. Seriously, healing through serving. It really changed the person who I am today. Cause I met Olivia in lockup. I never like knew her like that. I just was like high by. And then when I came out, that's when I started knowing her and all the programming. Like, that program really changed me. So you met Olivia when she came in and, and you yeah, but it was like a high by relationship. Yeah, you didn't go to the Bible yeah. study and all that, but mm -hmm. when, what made you decide to connect with her when you got out? Um, when I got out, um, my caseworker told me that there's like a program, a volunteer program, and to be honest, I just needed it for food stamps because I needed the 20 hours mm -hmm. a week for food stamps, so they told me that she does the volunteer, so I was like, okay. That's smart. So, yeah. So that's how we got to And then you got hooked. Yeah. So what was it like when you started to help other people? What did that feel like for you? It just felt right. Like, I don't know, it just felt good. Like, like you could just see how you touch people's hearts. Like, when, like right now, like, even my mom, like, my mom, she used to come out serving. Like, like right now she went out to eat, and I know she didn't finish her plate. Like, she'll see a homeless person. Like, she'll get it to look nice, like, the to-go plate, and she'll get it to look nice and see a homeless person on the street and be like, hey, I just went to this restaurant. Do you want my food? Like, yeah. Wow. She used to serve, so it even brought an impact on her. Like, I even brought her. I brought my sister. Like, I brought my whole family. So, in a way, it's brought your family, even you and your mother, yeah. together. It even brought my mom closer, because um, how I got my mom coming here. I just found out I was pregnant, and I got kicked out of my apartment, and I moved into my mom's house. And Olivia, I still had that program with Olivia, and I was like, damn, how am I going to get there? And I was like, my mom lived in Marlboro, and this is Worcester. So I was like, you know what, I'll just bring my mom. So my mom came, and she started serving. <laughs> So how would you describe who you are today as opposed to who you were at some of those low times you described? How have you changed? Like, I don't know. I'm just more responsible and more um, more alert and more um, giving, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Edna, you're 16. You've been through a lot. What are, how would you say you've changed and what, what, are, what are some of the dreams that you have? I feel like my dreams are to just make a change and impact in other people's lives. And I mean, as a person, I've definitely changed in the fact that like I'm more focused on others than myself because to this day, I'm still going through some of the stuff that I explained. I'm still in the custody of the state. I still go through things, but I'm very focused on others and I really want to make an impact on others. And my dreams are really to just open people's eyes and so they can really see how things are. So what do you think? people need to understand about, particularly girls who are in this system. You've been in it, you've seen a lot of other girls, you know your story in there. But what, do, what do people who are listening to this really need to understand? 
I think a lot of people need to understand that a lot of kids are honestly living off of their parents' mistakes. A lot of kids are in the system because their parents don't want them. Realistically, things shouldn't be like that. We didn't choose to be made. We didn't choose to be in the situations that we're in. And I feel like people should just be more aware. Yeah. You know, one of the things I, I think about with that too is our parents are living off of their parents' mistakes and they're living exactly. off because we can't give what we never had, right? Of course, it's really just and, a cycle that needs to be broken. Yeah. And that's what I think is something the three of you are, have done. You're breaking that cycle. Zaina, you have a beautiful son who's how old now? Ten months. Ten months. Mm -hmm. And you're breaking the cycle. Yes. What do you think people need to understand about girls who are in the juvenile system? That they are confused and lost. Like, just sit down and talk t talk to us. Like, like, we're human just like you. Yeah. Olivia? You've seen a lot over the years, probably most more than most, both Definitely. firsthand in California, here in Massachusetts. What do you think people need to understand? I think people need to understand that these girls are broken. Like, and they didn't end up here because they wanted to be here. Like Edna was saying, a lot of these girls are paying for their parents' mistakes. Mm -hmm. Like. I'm paying for, I was paying for my mother's mistakes. My mother's mother was pretty much experienced the same life. So it's been going from generation to generation. Um, I think that people need to look past these girls' rap sheets and the charges and actually see them as a human um, because, you know, they're not what they did and they deserve to be heard. They, their voices deserve to be heard. They deserve to be looked at as if they have value and they're not just some criminal, some problem child, just some girl who's acting out just because there's reasons these girls are ending up in the situations that they're ending up in. A lot of these girls, they're coming from broken homes and they've been molested and raped and just all this pain and all this trauma that they've been through and then people are just labeling them by their behaviors and not even thinking to understand how did this young girl get here? Yeah, definitely get the the picture of how much victimization. I wouldn't call you living as a victim. Like you've been victimized, but you're not living as victims. That's why you're here. And I, I don't know if some of that's come from your ability to, as the child, go back and forgive the, some of those who harmed you or reconciling with people. You know, Zainab talked about inviting her mom, your mom back in to serve with you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you've, you've taken the, the, the high road, and I think that's part of why you are here today, but have, have you had experience like that where it's like you were able to forgive? I think my mom is the first person that I forgave. You forgave her? Yeah, and that's it. <laughs> and how did that affect you when you decided to do that, you think? Well, it just opened up a lot more doors with me and my mom in our relationship. She helped me, she helps me a lot with my son. And she's been there through, through my pregnancy through day one. So I feel like if I never forgave her, I would be struggling. Because I did not know how to raise my son. <laughs> she showed me how to raise my son. Yeah. It's a great thing about being a grandparent. You get to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, you know, I grew up with a lot of anger. And it wasn't until I was an adult and I really experienced hearing someone's testimony 
um, and really encountering Christ in that. And one of the things God really worked on me with was all that resentment and all that bitterness. And I had, I didn't have to, but I chose to. I chose to go on that journey with him and started to truly forgive um, the people in my past who had hurt me. And I always saw it as, you know, I don't want to forgive them because I'm letting them off the hook. You know, they're, they're bad people. They hurt me. They deserve for me to hold this grudge against them. I didn't realize that it was really affecting me. And as I started to forgive, those burdens started to be lifted off and I started to become free. And it, it helped me to be more open to forgiveness and understanding like, you know, what they did was wrong, but I can't move forward in my life if I'm holding all this weight. And like forgiveness, it, it was so important. It's a huge part of my journey. I couldn't have been able to be here where I am today. And that's why, you know, when I talk to these girls, that's that's the thing that we work on together too. It's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to see how your life ended up and forgive, you know, the very people who were supposed to protect you. Um, but it's definitely worth it because I couldn't be the mother that I am to my children if I didn't forgive my mother. Cause I would have held the shame and pain and all of that and become her. And, you know, by the grace of God, I, you know, was able to forgive her, but doesn't mean that we're in each other's life today. So definitely experienced a lot of forgiveness towards a lot of people. To begin to wrap up here, you had the chance to go back to that 11 year old girl that you described or the nine-year-old or you when you were young and now all that you've gone through and all that you've become what would you want to say to that little girl or that might help her i just let her know that the thing that she's going the things that she's going through are really gonna is really building her character it's really gonna help her it's really gonna help her relate to others and it's really gonna it's gonna make a difference eventually it hurts at the moment, but in the long run, it's it's gonna make you a great person. It's gonna build your character. Yeah, that would be good for her to hear. Well, um, I would tell my 13-year-old, so I would really honestly hug her because that's all she wanted. Like, that's all she wanted. All she wanted was a hug and shit like that. And I would tell my 13-year-old self, like, that there's, that there's more than a program and that you're just stressing like when I was locked up. And when I was in a program, I'd sit there and I'd think every single day that I would never leave. Like when I was locked up, I would cry every single night. Every single night I would be crying because I thought I would never leave. Like I thought like I was locked up for a year. I was crying every single day for a whole year when I was locked up. Like it was so sad. So I would tell myself that not to stress, not to think because I'd be like overthinking so much. So I would tell myself not to overthink. Yeah, that's it. She needed to hear it. That is. She did. Well, you're out now, bro. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Yeah. It's a long time. I would have told my 13-year-old self that everything was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. um, I would have told myself that, you know, there's hope. And what I'm going through right now isn't always, it, it isn't forever. And I didn't know that then. I thought that my life was over. And so I would have loved to tell myself, like, keep going, keep pushing. Just because you've been hurt doesn't mean that you should be out there hurting other people. 
I just would have wanted to give myself a hug, to be honest, and to, like, there's a God who loves you, there's a God who knows you, and he got a plan for you, and just keep pushing. Yeah. Well, I really thank you guys. You're courageous women. A million kids every year are arrested. Uh, 15% of them are girls, and they have that experience of being in a place that they never thought they would ever be. No girl dreams of that when she's young, that this is where she's going to spend time. And yet, as we've seen over and over, uh, it's a place where God does do amazing work in people's lives. And you certainly are testimonies of that. And become the voices that come back and actually someday change the system. It's our responsibility, every one of us, to stand for children who are in a system that often chose them far more than they chose it. They're out of sight, they're out of mind, but they're not out of reach. And so to every youth and every facility, we're really committed to not simply go in and try to fix somebody. People don't need fixing. These three girls don't need fixing. But to walk along with somebody who's gone through a lot more than you have, certainly gone through a lot more than I have, and to begin to see the gold that now they can see in themselves looking back. But I can guarantee you, if you go into the juvenile facilities, there's almost 1,300 of them in the United States, you will see as much gold in there as you've heard today. And so my name's Scott Larson with the Every Youth, Every Facility Initiative, and thank you for listening. This podcast was produced by Straight Ahead Ministries on a mission to reach every youth in every facility with the hope of Jesus Christ. This podcast was hosted by Scott Larson, recorded by Scott Larson and Barbara Picard, and produced by Jen Yokel. To learn more about our work and join the movement to reach every youth, visit www.everyyouth.org.